0: I promise you the knowledge will change your life financially forever. Thank you.
1: Hi, this is Dion Begg from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy.
2: If you're looking
0: for the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay.
1: Okay, everybody, welcome to the show again. Thanks for being here. Um, Sandy, how are you?
0: I'm awesome. Yourself?
1: I'm doing good. I'm I'm okay. I'm getting lots of yard work done. I've got a bin (laughs) in my driveway, one of those big green bins, and it's just full of stuff. I was having a heyday yesterday. I was out in my garage with my wife, just saying, what, what else can we throw away? I'm ready. Like, let's get rid of all this stuff. So, nice. and, uh, and I'm ripping up my front deck because it's on the flat roof of my garage and that needs to be fixed. So all of these things that um, we haven't had time for before, suddenly we're finding time for them now. So uh, it's been good in a way, but my real estate is slowed right down. I don't know. Yeah. Real
0: estate is interesting for sure. It's interesting times. Um, yeah. I'm, well, I mean, that's what we're going to talk about. So we'll get into it and, 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 and shed some light. I, mean, I know. I uh, yeah, exactly. So I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. There's uh we have, we have a lot, a lot of listings that are still, you know, we're able to list in places on the realtor side, but then selling them is another getting, getting tougher. You can sense that for sure.
1: Mm. Well, listen, we're not going to do our regular intro today. Um, we're not going to go through all of the reviews and all that kind of stuff because we have somebody waiting and, and, uh, and really we're going to get into the impact that this coronavirus has had on everybody, you know, worldwide really. And uh, Sandy, I know you've been sitting in the house now, unable to really do much for, for the last, what, little over a week now. So probably just under a week left to go. Um, since you just got back from out of country, uh, how's that going?
0: Um, well, it's my wife and I, okay, we got, we have no kids here. We got a few pets. So it's, uh, the pets are loving it. I think, um, a lot of, lot of time with the mom and dad here. So they're liking that. It's, it's been interesting. I think the week was, I think I'm sensing, you know, I'd like to get out now and do some stuff. <laughs> There's some, some kind of okay things about it at the beginning and now, uh, getting a little antsy. To Nancy, but, uh, all the opportunities and stuff are pretty apparent, I, I see online, all the different, you know, ability to get content out there now. And the amount of content that that's getting poured out there is, is crazy. You know, zoom is becoming maybe a norm for, for a lot of things now, which is maybe good in some ways. So
1: I'm doing my gym classes, my, my CrossFit classes over zoom sometimes, oh, yeah? not every one of them, but sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on. We've got Tom Karadza, who uh, we've been trying to 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 get onto the podcast for quite some time now. Welcome, Tom. Nice of you to thanks join us Thanks for having me. Yeah,
2: had no more excuses, Rob. I mean, you know, I, couldn't, I couldn't dodge you guys anymore. Like, there's nothing going on, so we have time. I wanted to come on earlier, in, in all fairness. It was just my schedule and your schedule were always conflicting, in Sandy's schedule. So thanks for having it me. Has it
1: has been that way, actually. Probably one know, of this, the...
2: It's crazy now. Everyone's available, right? It's really interesting
0: now. I'm every, And I'm trying to book meetings with people and it's like, usually you, you book it two weeks out and now it's like, well, I'm free right now. <laughs>
1: Let's go. Let's do it now. Yeah. Um, well, for those of you who don't know who Tom Carrazza is, Tom, along with his brother, Nick, founded Rockstar Real Estate, which is an investor focused brokerage in Ontario. And Tom is, although he doesn't like to admit it, an economist, <laughs> entrepreneur, and a speaker, Um, he's here with us today to help us discuss the impact of the coronavirus and, uh, the impact that's had so far and how we can possibly navigate our real estate business through what's still to come. So thanks for joining us, Tom.
2: Yeah, no, thanks for having me guys. Really appreciate it.
1: So give us a little bit of your background, like your journey in real estate so far.
2: Um, (laughs) <laughs> that, that's a crazy question rob my my mom or our mom my brother and i um have the same mom is that sounds that sounds pretty crazy to admit but I guess it's true uh, our mom uh, was renting out rooms in Toronto in the boarding house that we lived in as our family home for 12 or $14 a week back in the 1970s. Our father started flipping properties in the late 1980s. He got caught in the 1990 market correction where we almost lost all our money and went bankrupt as a family. We didn't go bankrupt but we almost did. One house he was flipping in Mississauga went from $750,000 in value to four fifty dollars in four months. That almost bankrupt us but we survived. He sold it nine years later to break even. Nick and I started buying properties in the year kind of like the early 2000s. I want to say like 2001 I was working in the tech industry and I was taking the commissions that I was getting and buying rental properties in Hamilton and all my friends were saying everybody was saying like what are you doing like why aren't you buying more like Oracle stock or Microsoft stock or back then it was like Cisco and all these companies and Nick and I were buying rental properties and uh, that kind of led to our journey of uh, just getting more and more involved in real estate. Nick Nick flipped his first property when he was 21, I started flipping properties. And then we decided to get our real estate licenses and we started Rockstar Real Estate to, uh, to try and help people who want to invest in real estate. Basically, Rob, like you and Sandy, I'm sure, we felt we couldn't find people who were gonna help investors. So we're like, hey, why don't we just get our real estate license? bypass realtors and just do this ourselves. And that kind of grew into helping investors. And then it kind of get led to the birth of uh, of Rockstar. So that was about uh, and 12 years ago that Rockstar was kind of born. Is that fast enough? Some, am I, did I give you too much or too little?
1: No, that's good, Tom. Uh, I mean, obviously there's more to it than just that, but uh, uh, thank you for, I guess, summarizing it, like uh, putting it into a nice little package for us all. Um, now you started Rockstar Real Estate and it's grown. It's, you know, you guys have done a fantastic job. You provide education to investors. They can, uh, you have a membership program where uh, they can learn pretty much everything about anything to do with real estate investing at any given time uh, through your, you know, membership inner circle and you hold these big events twice a year.
2: Yeah, we do all that stuff. And you know, you're giving me a flashback. You know where I spent most of my I remember late 90s, I somehow convinced my wife to spend $5,000 on a box of tapes from an American uh, real estate trainer. You know, those are like American trainers that would come up to Canada. But I guess this guy was selling a box of tapes for $5,000. And I convinced my wife to take like We didn't have a lot of money, but so $5,000 was an enormous amount. And I convinced her to allow me to spend this money on a box of educational real estate tapes. And I remember they landed at my front door in Mississauga in our very first house. And I ripped them open. I started listening to the tapes. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I know this stuff already. Like, I know all of the stuff that's on these tapes. Why am I not doing more? You know, when you have that realization, you're like, I don't need to learn anymore. Like, I just need to do. You know, and that was kind of the, 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 the moment for me. I'm like, I just spent $5,000 <laughs> on these tapes. And I didn't even have a tape player in my car. I had to go to Zeller's. You remember Zeller's or my two- Yeah, no, Zeller. No, no. Okay, yeah. Zeller. Well, a
1: couple of years ago. <laughs> okay, okay.
2: okay. So I went to Zeller's. I bought like a ghetto blaster. Remember, you know, it was a like tape player kind of things. And I yeah. had to play the tapes on my passenger seat of my Honda Civic because my Honda Civic, even in the late 90s, didn't have a, a cassette player. It just had a CD player. Okay. So I had to play the tapes in my car driving around. And I remember picking up some <laughs> friends at lunch and they were like, what are you listening? To? Like, what are you listening to? And I was so embarrassed. I'm like, oh, don't worry about that. And like, I just kind of put it in the back seat. I'm like, I don't want anyone to know. I'm like driving around listening to like real estate tapes. I think they were from Robert mm-hmm. Allen. Do you guys remember Robert Allen? I yeah, from I have done Allen. anything
0: with it, but I don't, I don't know that
2: I name spent yet. a lot. Yeah, I spent a lot with Robert Allen. I think for a year with those tapes, I got to go on like teleconferences um, with him and like Mark Victor Hansen or something like that. Anyway, you're now so, I'm, I'm you. now flashing. I'm flashing back. But that's why we started Rockstar. We really wanted to give Canadian like you guys. We wanted to give Canadian specific information to people. And we wanted the activity of buying the real estate to be the big investment not the education of real estate to be the big investment does that make sense We're mm-hmm. like hey let's let's go do like let's do like we'll just share everything we know with you we'll share it like here's everything we know come to all the classes we can possibly put on let's go do stuff i don't want to keep talking like there's a point i feel in all of our investing careers and i don't think you guys are like this of course But the the people just get caught up reading and and learning and and looking for the next great strategy. And I found in real estate from our own family's experience that you don't make money in real estate from trying to time the market. And I'm sure we're gonna be talking about today's market right now, but you make money in real estate from time in the market. And I didn't come up with that saying, I can't remember what book I read it in, but you make money in real estate from surviving time in the market. And that's why we're like trying to give away a lot of education at Rockstar. We're like, hey, here's all the education. Just let's get in and survive. So when something hits like the Corona, coronavirus and it changes the market, we can survive it together, but that's how you make money by surviving the market. Now I'm going off on a rant, Rob. Well,
1: a lot of the biggest regrets that we hear from people is, is either number one, they didn't, they didn't buy something they had the opportunity to buy in the past, or number two, they sold something that they wish they hadn't. Totally.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's not so spending that, time, uh, in.
0: not gives not, not, all around time, right? Not having enough time. And
1: and, and, you're, and, and, the, and the, you guys have grown so much since then too. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, how many agents are in the office now?
2: Yeah, so Rockstar, uh, it was myself and, and, and Nick at the beginning. And now I think there's about 50 licensed people here at Rockstar. And then our team inside Rockstar is also, there's like, you know, a, a, a kind of a team inside the office as well, um, maybe a dozen people. So yeah, we've grown um it's been a lot of hard work as you guys know we're all just kind of plugging away it's been it's been hard work but we've grown and the amount we've worked with thousands of investors now um we stopped counting we crossed a billion dollars investment properties with investors some time ago um i think we're creeping up to two billion but i don't have that stat handy so please don't hold me to that that number um but uh yeah it's been a journey and just just crossing paths with guys like you you know, like, that's the best part in all of it. Like, really, that's the whole, the whole thing. The best part is just meeting other people who are doing stuff, right? And all trying to help each other. That's, that's what this is all about to me. And then when we hit something like the coronavirus, it really rings true to me how valuable our network is. Like, I look at people like you, Rob, and you, Sandy, as, you know, part of my own personal growing network. And I really think the value in my life isn't just my real estate. The value in my life is the network and the value I contribute to that network because I know that network will then support me. Does that make sense? So, Absolutely. It, yeah. So we're, weirdly, I feel like rockstar has like almost accidentally created this group of investors. They're all supporting each other and helping each other. And when we hear that back um, that's what, uh, that's what we like the most.
1: Well, it's funny. I was talking to a realtor yesterday and uh, just, you know, not giving everything away, I guess, but uh, um, just explaining what I do and how I help investors. And they said, okay. And uh, yeah, once we got through, okay, great. And so, so how much do you charge for that? I'm like, not nothing. Am I what do you, I don't charge anything. They they come back and they buy another house with me because I haven't steered them wrong and I've helped them through it. So I'm on the same boat. I like to I like to give as much as I can. Stan, you oh, know, you're the same way, and and uh, and yeah, and then it comes back to you, right? obviously things have changed a little bit over the past couple of weeks. So what does that look like for you and and what adjustments have you made?
2: Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of people have been asking us that, you know, what, what adjustments are we making? And, and, and I think the adjustments have already been made from our point of view. And what I mean by that is because our family had such a near death experience with real estate back in 1990. And I know that seems like ages ago, but we learned a lot of lessons. So for the last 10 years, we ourselves have been practicing kind of a, a three pronged strategy where we think everybody should have cash or access to cash everybody should have some hard assets in their life life as insurance and everybody should have some cash flow. So we've been gearing up for this for, I would say a decade, Rob, where we've been kind of creating cash for emergencies and for survival, having hard assets in our lives because we believe hard assets are, are the one thing that just keep plodding along and growing in value, and then creating cash flow, ideally from those hard assets, because it's the movement of money and the cash flow in our life, that income component of it that we need kind of for survival. So um, during these times, we haven't really made any adjustments. It's more just been a test of our theories like, oh, did it make sense to maybe hold on to some extra cash that we've been wondering if we should invest for the last five years, but we've been purposely holding on to it? was that wise? And now it feels like it was wise. And was it has it been wise to buy real estate assets and hold them? And yeah, that feels super wise right now to me, especially for what I think is coming in the next three, four five years for us. And cash flow, did it make sense to not just buy any real estate? Did it make sense to focus on cash flowing real estate, which I'm sure you guys get this a lot as well. A lot of people kind of I don't want to say attacked, but maybe look down on us a little bit because they're like, oh, you guys don't really know know how to make the big money in real estate because you make the big money in real estate through appreciation and buying these properties. And, and we always, even though I grew up right next to Toronto and Mississauga, we were always kind of investing on the fringes of the GTA because we felt that's where the cash flow was. And some people didn't agree with us over the years, but now I feel like that was the best move. Like we stayed true to that. And I feel like that's been the best thing. So for us, it's been cash. Hard assets and cash flow, ideally from those hard assets. That's what we've done over the last ten years, and it's helping us today. So I don't know if we've done anything specifically to to change for today right now, but all our kind of ideas are now, I would say, maybe helping us feel confident in this environment. Does that make sense?
1: From a business standpoint, absolutely. Um, yeah. And and congratulations that you guys have done that because a lot of people don't. And I noticed like even at Durham REI recently, uh, which is the uh, Durham uh, real estate investors club that I usually attend, which is tomorrow night. And now I think it's online, but anyway, um, there has been a lot of, you know, evaluating your portfolio, how you can strengthen it, where, where you can, um, where you, how you can prepare yourself for this kind of thing. Right. So I think that's pretty important. Now on the other side though, there is that, um, human connection right with you and the tenants and that's a whole different thing um where i'm sure that there must have been some adjustments there like have you run into any issues or any uh any kind of um any kind of preparation that you've had to do uh to deal with the tenant issues that are going to arise from this
2: yeah, first off, um, we were shocked with just kind of informally polling all the investors we work with at how many investors got rent on April 1st that were scared they were not going to get rent. I mean, I would say the percentage, and again, this is just informal data, is well over 90 or 95%. Um, so I was, I don't know about you guys, but I was like, we were, oh, I, I think, shocks, we, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we Damn. were just bracing for like, whoa, okay, what <laughs> what's going to happen here. But so that was, that was good news. But then on, on the human element, you're, you know, Rob, you're absolutely right is, uh, our property managers have been doing a great job with that. And and we've been encouraging them, but thankfully we didn't even have to, they were proactive and the way we handle things is communication. So by communicating with tenants to let us know what they're going through so that we can work something out together. I don't think this is the time to draw the hard line where it's like, you know, you're not paying rent, you owe us rent. And it's the end of the story. I feel it's the time for grace and compassion and to be working with people so that if you can't get the full rent, can you, can we arrange for partial payments? You know, can we set something up with tenants where they'll catch up maybe down the road, but for now let's document the partial payment plan where you can pay us um, X number of dollars this month. And then in two or three months from now, we'll kind of catch up on some rent and we'll keep the communication going because even even that might need to be adapted. So the biggest thing we've been doing immediately is opening the lines of communication. And again, for us right now, it has been our property managers doing that, but we've been very supportive of that. that, Yes, that's the approach. Don't, you know, let's not try to, uh, you know, draw a hard line or, or, you know, on anything with rents. Let's talk to people, let them know that we're willing to compromise and and let's show some compassion during these times. I'm not sure if that's what you're asking, Rob, but that's kind of, that's number one. Like that's, that's the first thing, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Sandy, uh, I saw you nodding your head there, but I was, well, last time we spoke was right on April 1st. I think we were, we were doing our interview with Quentin at about 1030 in the morning that day. So I didn't really, I wasn't really sure how everything was going to play out, but it'd been pretty good so far uh, as far as the tenants paying, but I had one tenant, one tenant who uh who is a little bit short and that's it so we were
0: we were up over we had maybe two that we did a payment like personal ones that we did a payment plan with um it really came down to what was going to go on this week with the uh incentives coming into play and the emergency relief benefits mm-hmm. right so i think those are going to help any of the tenants that we put on a plan are going to be probably paying in the next week um i would expect and that's and
2: then, what- yeah Sandy, sorry. I was just going to add, that's what we saw too. We had one tenant in one of our student rentals ask if they could apply last month's rent to this month because they were going to be a bit out of work. And we agreed to it. You know, it's not something we would normally agree to, but yeah, we totally agreed to, to doing that with them. And Nick has, I don't mean to speak for Nick because he's not here, but Nick has one tenant who is paying a little bit later this month, but they do have a history because they're self-employed to pay sometimes a little bit sporadically. Um, so he's kind of monitoring that, but us as well, we were, we were shocked. That's all we've seen as well. And that's across like rental properties and student rental properties and that kind of, that kind of stuff.
0: And what do you think? I know last week we talked with Quentin and it was, we weren't sure yet. So it's, a little, it's interesting now seeing that everyone's paid pretty well, you know, as normal this month. Um, what about coming up in the next months ahead? Do you, uh, I obviously we don't know, but I think, um, you know, we have to maybe have some plans in place for when that. Maybe happens, and it does get a little tougher perhaps for people. do you have anything in place, or are you thinking about that at all yet?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, we are thinking about it a lot, and I think it might get a little worse, so you know I, I think we 're in for probably not as good next month as it was this month as people start to have a little bit of fear enter their system on their own employment situation, and for that we are um, proactively looking at our mortgage to decide if we're going to be deferring any. So we haven't deferred any of our mortgages right now, but we're proactively looking at that. We know a lot of investors have, so we're looking at that. Um, And just, trying to map out how long we could survive without any rent at all. Remember I spoke about like our, having our emergency cash, just writing out our own plan on like, how long can we go? Like, how far can we survive? Because if we know that number, it allows us to make the decisions today on mortgage deferrals and that kind of stuff. So we're preparing ourselves to maybe make some mortgage deferrals, um, but we haven't done anything like that. So that's the biggest thing we're looking at right now for the future, because I do anticipate next month's not going to be as easy as this month. I'm guessing of course. How do you think people should be deciding on that deferring or not? What do you, do
0: you have any thoughts on, I don't don't think it's a blanket. You should defer or not. I think it's case by case. I think it's case by case. I
2: I think it's what makes you sleep at night. So for example, if you only have one, if you're an investor who's leveraged pretty high and you only have 30 days worth of like survival money for you and your family, defer. Like, what are we, there's no discussion here, defer. But if you have enough cash in the bank, credit line access to survive for nine months without any mortgage payments, then, you know, take it on a month by month basis. So I would say it's whatever makes you sleep at night. And with one caveat to that, I do believe that credit lines, and I know I take some heat for sharing this um, credit lines can't be looked at as guaranteed emergency money because the banks, we're going to go through a tightening cycle with the banks right now. There's no doubt. Anytime there's an economic change, the banks tighten their lending standards. So it should be no surprise to anybody that we're gonna go through tightening. That part of that tightening may mean that banks reduce some of our credit lines that we all have on some of our properties. So if you're solely depending on your credit line as your emergency money to carry you through that, I I would kind of break things up and like how much cash do you really have and how much is it available via credit line because maybe the banks change their mind and kind of reduce your credit line or, or, or close it. Right. And I'm only sharing that to try to Rob knows Sandy. I'm like worst case scenario guy. I'm like, what's the worst case here? Like what's going to happen? So I don't mean to say that to to breed any sort of fear. I'm just trying to be realistic with what I think the banks can do. So that's how I would look at it.
1: Well, it's also like if, if, if that is a possibility, which it is, I mean, we've seen it in Europe at at some points. Right. Um, so so it it never hurts to take that preparation obviously and i heard you um so just uh on that note what what information do you have on uh, how the bank looks at future purchases if you are to defer any of your mortgages
2: yeah so we just have talking to our bankers and our mortgage brokers who do quite a bit of volume and everybody has the same question and and some people are thinking that if you have a deferral from a bank on record now and you try to go to get a refinance on one of your properties it's not you're not going to be in a good shape to get that refinance on the property because if you're currently deferring mortgages i'll just pick a bank from the bank of nova scotia how motivated are they going to be to refinance you on one of your properties if you're currently deferring mortgages with them so it probably won't impact you from getting a refinance on a property at another bank but the current bank you're with if you try to refinance a property some bankers and mortgage brokers we're speaking with are saying that's probably going to affect you somewhat Um, And then some others are also saying that if you go for a refinance right now, you might want to be careful because you don't want to get a decline on your record. So if you are deferring mortgages right now at one bank and you go to that bank for a refinance and get declined, that decline stays on your record apparently. And you don't want that as, as investors, you know, it's all about accessing capital at all times. So you want to be careful um, that you're proactively asking your mortgage brokers and bankers, what, what they think you should be doing at this time because you don't want to get an arbitrary decline on your record right now that then might show up on your, maybe it shows up on some banking report that other banks can see. You know, there's some of those banking reports, like there's your credit report, but then they pay for those other reports. I don't know the name of them. Rob, I should Sandy, I apologize. I should have this name handy, but they can see some other information about you. I, uh, I don't know if that decline shows up across all banks or not. So you just want to be careful at this time. This is, this is where those relationships in your network come, uh, become very powerful. You want to talk to your banker. You want to talk to your mortgage broker before you make any moves.
1: So on the same note there, though, wouldn't they be able to see the, uh, the deferral from the other bank as well? Like,
2: yeah, think- agreed, agreed. Yeah, apparently not. <laughs> apparently not. But I'm guessing just as much as you, but this is what we're being told that they, they're not seeing the, the deferral. Um, right now, and then the next question becomes like if you 're deferring, does it impact your credit and most people are thinking it won 't however some some of the uh, mortgage brokers we 're speaking to are a little concerned that the banks might have some processes in place that report a missed payment to the credit bureau, even if you have a deferral hmm. so I think it 's wise that all of us be watching our credit right now like i don 't know about you guys, but I pay i think it 's like fifty dollars a quarter or something to get my like Um, my Equifax, like kind of report, like if anybody does anything on my credit or if there's any new updates, I instantly get that alert. To me, it's pretty important right now to be watching your credit so that if you do have a deferral and anything's reported on your credit bureau for that, you can call the bank and say, Hey guys, you guys approved this. Can you kind of remove this? And you can report that to Equifax and that kind of stuff.
1: Hmm. Okay, good, good information. Thank you.
2: Oh, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm guessing like you guys at all of this. I'm just, I'm just kind of sharing everything. Yeah, I'm just sharing (laughs) We can try
0: and figure it all out, but we won't really know until we, it takes place, right? Which is, which is, makes it challenging.
2: Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's something interesting that goes on in investors' minds, I find, especially investors who haven't taken action. Everyone's kind of thinking they will buy their next real estate when the market hits the bottom. Right. I'm sure you guys hear that all the time. Like, hey, I'm going to wait, Sandy, Rob, I'm not going to buy right now. I'm waiting till the market hits the bottom. And my my opinion on that gets, I get a little heat for it because they're like, well, guys, you own a brokerage. And of course, you're going to say this. But I believe that if the market truly hits the bottom, it hits the bottom for a reason. The reason is likely that access to credit is gone or very difficult to get. So why do you think it's at the time where the market hits the bottom that you think you're going to be able to buy your first property or your next property if you haven't bought one in five years? I don't agree with that strategy. I understand that makes me look bad because we own a brokerage and people can say, well, you guys are just trying to sell real estate. I don't mean that. I, you know, do real estate with anyone you want. uh, I'm not speaking from trying to make a sale here. I truly believe over the next five years, you're going to want assets in your life and you should think that banking is going to get tougher In the next three, four, five, and six months, not easier. So if you're thinking about buying a property now, and I know the next two weeks might be crazy, none of us are going, no one's going out. (laughs) You know, it's hard to kind of show properties, but you know, maybe in the in the short term, you should be acting and not waiting for this magical bottom. Because at the bottom, I don't really think you're going to be able to buy. So, or at least not able to access credit from the banks very easily. So it's just, it's just interesting time.
0: Those are great points. I, I, I mean, we're all probably biased on that sense of right now, but I, I agree for sure. I agree. There's no way, there's no way it's going to be difficult and there's going to be more fear out there probably to buy. And it's going to be even harder from a mindset. To over totally. That. Back
2: in 2008, I agree. Back in 2008, when Nick and I were much you know, smaller, Rockstar was much smaller. We made a list of all the people who told us they were going to buy when you know, there was, there was like a low point. And then the US yeah. financial crisis hit. And we, uh, back then, we probably had a list of 10 people. And they were all 100%, I'm going to buy when the headlines are negative and everyone's scared of real estate. Out of that 10 that absolutely told us 100% they were going to buy and they were financially capable to buy, we had two people buy. Uh, two out of the 10. I right. And what is, I
1: we're going to say actually,
2: yeah, no, I know, I know, but they were already a group of investors. So like in the re- regular kind of general public, it was probably two out of like, what a hundred or something. but you're right. You're right. I think we were, we were, we were surprised too. but those 10 told us adamantly all 10 of them, we will buy. And they didn't, the two that did bought back then and survived that obviously, you know, what's happened in the last 12 years are, they're, they're really happy. Right?
1: I mean, try to identify the bottom of the market too. What is that? Who who's sure. to say that this is the bottom of the market? You know, you just can't do it. You can't time it out. If you see a good deal, then go for it. Look, there's going to be there's going to be good deals to be had right now that are going to be better than the ones that are at the so-called bottom of the market. It's just you got to look for them, just <laughs> like you would any other time.
2: Yeah, I think most investors look at um, investing as and they look at the price of the asset. We don't look at it that way. We look at it as you're buying a stream of cash flow so you're buying a stream of cash flow when you look at the property the price is important it's an absolutely important component but we don't look at that as the be all and end all we look at the cash flow component to the property and then we look we assign the cost of acquiring that cash flow and the cost is you know the price of the property but we look at that that price as the price to acquire that cash flow not just like our price is high or low right we're just trying to buy streams of cash flow everywhere we can and 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 in that way we feel we're like killing two birds with one stone, we're getting a hard asset, a nice, good property. And from that hard asset, it's creating cash flow in our lives. Mm-hmm. So buying real estate right now to us is, 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 a, is a win. Um, and that's, that's just never going to change. But I think a lot of new investors always look at the price. Like, is it a good price? Is now, the, is, is, you know, is it, Sandy, Rob, tell me, is this a good price or is this a good, you know, where's the good price? And I'm like, ah, if I can be the better investor who can analyze, and acquire a property and know how to make money from that property and pay more for that property than you can, I'll keep growing my portfolio. If I can pay more for the property comfortably than you can, because I know how to make it into a second suite, right? I can pay more than the guy next door, maybe because he's going to rent it out as a single family rental, but I know how to make it into a second suite and I'm going to almost double the income on that property. So, so I can afford to spend $10,000 more. And it's not really that big of a deal to me because I know, I know how to make money on that property and you don't, right? So mm-hmm. that's kind of some of the way we look at it. Am I just ranting again for you guys? I feel like I feel like, oh, we like just it. cut me off, cut me off. <laughs> We're never gonna cut anybody off. No, those
0: are great points, I love that. Um, awesome points there. And so we did talk on the economy a bit there. <laughs> as, you, as you said, you're not necessarily an economist, but you do study a lot of this, this stuff uh, heavily. Do you have any thoughts on, I mean, no one really knows everything, that's it's going to be in store for the next little bit, but anything you're thinking about or looking at specifically, that's uh, might be interesting for the listeners to, to know about here going forward.
2: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's totally a, it's a big topic, but I think if I was to kind of boil it down to us Canadians here, I, I expect bank tightening in the next, you know, in the short term, there's going to be more tightening, not less. So for example, last week, one of the big banks in Canada decided that HELOCs can no longer be used as a source of down payment on rental properties. Right, That shouldn't come to as a a surprise to any of us. I believe there's going to be more announcements like that, not less. I also don't get scared of announcements like that. I look at those as opportunity because as I can navigate through that kind of stuff and other people perhaps are going to freeze. So I I, I feel the first thing we should all expect is more bank tightening over the next little while. As banks tighten access to credit, it's going to affect the real estate market. Let's, there's just no two ways about it. It's going to affect the real estate market. I don't know how greatly we happen to have wonderful fundamentals in the, the entire golden horseshoe here with our population base and our job base here. So I'm not actually scared about that, but it's going to have some negative impact on real estate in some capacity. That, that's what I think. And then I think the policy response to that is the banks tighten their lending. I think the government in Canada and the government in the US and governments all around the world are going to want the banks to lend money because they're going to want to stimulate the economy. So I feel like we're going to go through this weird environment where things kind of come down a little bit. And then after some time, and I don't have the crystal ball to time this perfectly, but I feel like there's going to be this moment where the banks are almost forced by the governments to lend money out into the economy to try to get the turnover of money happening for the economy to grow. And at that point, I really believe assets are going to to rise quite nicely. So I feel like there's kind of two moments, short term, anything can happen, like a little bit of bank tightening, likely a little bit of stress on the real estate market, but then medium and long-term, the governments need money to be spent. The governments need money to go into the economy. They need it. I feel they're going to mandate that banks push money into the economy, and then that's going to be like fire for real estate. However, I don't have the crystal ball. I don't know if that's like six months away or like 18 months or three years or five years. And that's why I tell everyone you can't time the real estate market. I'll just buy the good assets and sit on them. And if banks tighten right now and the value of my real estate comes down, ah, no big deal, don't even care. And then longer term, I kind of have a suspicion that like, this is gonna pay off really nicely because they're gonna push a lot of money into the economy. They need the economy to grow. The governments around the world need the economy to grow. Let me put it to you this way. Since 2008, there's been $100 trillion of new debt global. Okay, 100 trillion. The U.S. government has put in a $6 trillion stimulus package. $2 trillion of that is to their economy. $4 trillion is to offer liquidity to the financial markets. Now, let me ask you something. If $100 trillion in new debt was created in the last 10 years, but only $4 trillion has been put into the market to offer liquidity for that debt, I think we have a lot more liquidity that's going to come into the market because there's a hundred trillion in new debt, but only $4 trillion in liquidity to make that debt move and survive. So my money says a lot more money is coming into the US economy and then all countries have to follow because Canada can't have its dollar rise faster than the US dollar. We are an export based economy. We have to have our dollar cheap and to keep our dollar cheap, interest rates have to be lower than the US and we have to put more money into the economy to make sure our dollar is of less value than the US. I'm all over the place now there. There you go.
1: <laughs> but, you know, all of these things, <clears throat> I mean, to me, that sounds counterintuitive, but I guess that's just the way it is. Uh, I,
2: and what, by what mean? What do you mean counterintuitive? Oh, I mean the dollar low. Yeah. Oh, got it. Yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah. We're an export-based, Canada's an export-based economy. So we want our dollar to be cheaper. But yeah, I hear you. It sounds crazy. Like, it sounds crazy. Let's like devalue. Let's make our dollar worth less, but that's, yeah, that's how we roll.
1: <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you've already answered this, but are you still, you're still buying properties on?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I blame, I blame, uh, Nick's been buying more residential than me in the last couple of years. And I blame that I love my family, but my kids are older and I've been putting a little bit more money into some family stuff. Um, And then we had this office and uh, that's been our our most recent acquisition. I think I can't remember if we were recording when I when I shared this or not. We weren't. weren't, Yeah, but we bought this office. This is our first commercial real estate. We closed on it in February 2020. um, And it's the new home of Rockstar and the biggest economic crisis that is to hit and maybe maybe it'll be our lifetimes who knows happened one month later. So on a timing perspective. That's pretty good. Close in February, market comes to an end (laughs) one month later. So yeah, we're still buying and uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to still buy. Right? So uh, we're, we're believers in hard assets. It's funny because people will tell me they are like, Tom, I don't think like some investors will say, I just bought a property. I think I should sell. Like, I think I need to sell. And I'm always intrigued by that because I'm like, wait a second, if you have enough money for your family to survive over the next six and nine months, why do you want to hold cash? To me, if you're really going to just try and time the bottom of the market, okay, you know, good good luck with that. And yeah, load up on cash. But I don't think you're going to have access to easy lending, but I can see where you're coming from. But if it's just out of like, I'm scared, to me, you want to own the asset. Every wealthy person in my life has owned assets. Every, Every wealthy person I've ever met. It's why all of us, I'm sure, got into real estate everyone's own assets. So why in this environment, do you want to like dump an asset that is a good rental property? That's like at least paying for itself or making some money. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I find that's the fear-based reaction, right? People are like, Oh my gosh, the real estate thing is going to go down, sell it. I'm out. And I'm always just fascinated by that because they're placing more value in the cash in hand than owning the asset. Whereas I place more value in the asset that I own, not the cash in hand. Does that make sense?
1: And that's, so I'm
2: always trying. uh, Yeah. So, and I'm sure you guys agree to all this kind of stuff. So, so uh, yeah, I'm preaching to the choir here. I know.
1: Well, I mean, it's good for a lot of people to hear that are listening to this too. Right. So, I mean, they might have the different perspective just as I've got some, uh, some clients who, you know, their clothes is coming up and they've had the same phone call with them. It's, do you think that uh, anyone else in your group might want this? I'm, I'm not really feeling it. Maybe you might want to get out of it right now. So uh, it, it's just something that happens. It's, a, I guess, a human reaction to this type of thing. Not that, we, not that I've been through it necessarily that much, but I'm definitely seeing it this time.
2: Yeah, I remember right. I was about I guess like 18 19 when 1990 hit and our father was flipping multiple properties and it's it's people get crazy like I was old enough then to remember that because uh, our father had friends who were flipping properties and people start selling homes because they think things are just going to get worse and worse and worse. So actually I anticipate real estate activity to pick up like as it as it kind of bottoms out whenever that happens over the next little while here. Real estate activity at some point picks up and it's not, it doesn't always pick, out a, pick up out of a positive. It sometimes picks up because people think things are gonna get worse. So they start listing their properties to sell them, right? And that's where I think a savvy investor can really, I don't wanna say take advantage, but you know, maybe seize an opportunity when people are selling and you might be able to kind of snap up a good deal. So interesting times ahead. There, there is, for the sophisticated investor, there's definitely gonna be opportunities ahead.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think, I mean, anyone that's selling right now, they've got a reason for that. Definitely got a reason for it. Nobody's, you know, in my opinion, there isn't too many people uh, thinking that this is the best time to, 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 you know, cash out on their, on their uh, house. So if they're selling, there's probably a pretty good reason for it and uh, going through all of these precautions that have to be had if people are actually going in through properties to look at them. <clears throat> um, there's deals for sure.
0: Knowledge is huge. Obviously we talked about action and importance of that experience with that. And uh, you know, great time to soak up some extra knowledge here too. If you have some time, um, become more of a sophisticated investor. Like you said, cause that's, that's how you, that's how you know what to do when the opportunities come. What are some things just to switch a little bit here? What are some things that real estate investors could do to, to support, help the economy um, or the community, not the economy, sorry, the community at this time. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, we're starting to see a lot more things happen with the uh, real estate world in general. I think um, there's, our, there's, some, there's some things we can do to help in our communities. What are some of those things if we're looking for some extra, Extra things to do while we're bored here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, we're all, yeah, we were just saying I'm watching the Raptors games that are replaying on TSN and Sportsnet and I'm treating them like live games. I'm like cheering. Uh, that's when I know I'm losing it, right? When you're cheering for recorded <laughs> games like they're live. Um, anyway, I think, the, I think the first thing that we can all do is take care of ourselves, number one. Like protect this. Protect your mindset. You know, what are you reading all day? What are you putting into your mind? I I feel like the best way we can help our own communities is to first help ourselves, have the right daily routines to wake up and put positive information into your brain. I really, really feel that that's important. And then after that, it's helping the person directly next to you. So if that happens to be that day, a tenant who needs to hear some compassion from your voice to help them get through the next couple months, help that direct person. If that is your neighbor or us here like this over Zoom and give them some encouragement and some support, it's just help the person directly next to you. Because I feel that's the best way we can impact our community. Sometimes I feel we try to impact our community and everyone tries to like do these big grand things, which are fantastic and sometimes motivating, but I believe help yourself help the person directly next to you at the grocery store who needs a hand, you know, be the friendly voice when maybe everybody's a little nervous in the grocery store, help your family, you know, have some compassion at all levels during this time. And then beyond that, I really think we can help local businesses, the local person. I feel like in the next little while we're going back to local, you know, the local the independent coffee guy, the local grocery store, the local family. Let's help our local business. That's what I, you know, Sandy, if people are going to use you, you know, where you are, that's benefiting you and your family. You'll then go spend the money you're making on another local business, Rob, for you, you know, it's, it's, it's helping our local businesses. That's what I, that's what I feel, how we can help the best.
1: I agree. And it's like my gym closed down and I was just talking about how we were doing some of our workouts over zoom, and whatever. And so I'm trying to, you know, support, help him stay afloat, right? Like it's not easy for a, a little niche gym to, to keep on going when they run into something like this. So, you know, we're not going, but we're still, we're still contributing. Right. And and yeah, it's important. There's a couple other things that I'm doing too, as well along that vein. So um, that's a, that's a good point. I like that. And I think it's very important as well. So yeah, if there's, if there's somebody that um, that maybe is been helping you out, like even, somebody that let's say cut your grass and they're not cutting your grass for you, you can still, you know, help support them. Um, I guess we've just, um, you were, you were mentioning earlier, this is going to be kind of our wrap up, I guess, uh, other investments, you know, other hard assets that you acquire to help support. You're you?
2: trying to get me to talk about gold and silver, aren't you?
1: I'm this not- is your, this is your, <laughs> Um, you can talk about whatever you want, but you did mention it,
2: right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And yeah, the reason the reason we tell everybody that will listen about gold and silver is because we believe um, gold, precious metals. Look, there's something over history that doesn't change: land, precious metals, and art. You go through hundreds of years of history: land, precious metals, and art. You know, they always hold their value. And I just remember our family, you know, we, we, we have family who lived in the former Yugoslavia. They, they went through the 1990s of hyperinflation in the Yugoslavia. I'm, I'm not saying hyperinflation is coming here by any means. However, I did make an interesting observation during that time that the people who survived with any sort of wealth owned things. If they owned properties, they survived. Because as one currency kind of went into a new currency, the property was still the property. It just happened to be denominated in a new currency. They, their wealth survived. And anyone who just had some money under their mattress or some money in the bank account, that money was just converted to the new currency. They lost everything. They lost everything. Because if they had like $5,000 in, in the bank or at home and they were able to get the new currency, that $5,000 turned into $50. The, the people who didn't have properties, if they owned a little bit of gold and silver, they were able to maintain their purchasing power. Because if that gold and silver, it survived the currency change. So we tell everybody that gold and silver in North America is very misunderstood. And it's a form of insurance on your finances. That's how we look at it. That you have some gold and silver in your life as a form of insurance. So if everything goes crazy in the financial world, you still have some form of money separate from the financial world that will protect your wealth. And there's hundreds of years of history on it. So we look at it as an insurance and aside from real estate, we're big believers in owning some precious metals through this time. And I don't mean on the stock market. I mean, if you can still get it to physically go and own it, and there's dealers right across Ontario that you can, you can still buy some right now. And I say still, because in the last few weeks inventories have gone um, really light in most of these places, but it's our own family's history seeing what happens through a financial crisis that made me fully appreciate owning some precious metals. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's one way to have insurance on my wealth. And, uh, I don't want to be holding just, you know, just cash or dollar denominated things. I want to have other things. So real estate and gold and silver, um, are, are important to me for those reasons. I don't know if that, I don't I don't know if that was clear, Rob or not, but that's, that's kind of how we think about it. (laughs)
1: pretty clear yeah all right (laughs) um well thank you you know i appreciate you coming on here um, and sharing all this stuff and like we said it's been a long time i mean not for anybody's fault but we've really been trying to get you nailed down for quite what quite some time so i'm just happy that you know i believe in it it, this is actually a good opportunity to have you because you do have despite what you think i always have to preface this because (laughs) Tom is like the most humble guy you will ever meet. You know, if I say something nice to him, he goes, Oh, I don't know about that. I'm just Tom trying to survive. That's me, you know, but really you guys have built something great and you have a lot of knowledge that you can share. And this interview is definitely evidence of that. So, um, You can accept it or not, Tom, but thank you very much.
2: Hey, we appreciate it. And you know what? Just watching what you guys are doing is inspiring for us too, because you guys have been doing that. You guys, I feel like have been doing this podcast for a long time. I don't know when you started, but you sharing information the way you're sharing it, think how many people you've benefited. So thank you for you guys doing this. And we're going to have to return the favor now. So now you're going to, and I want to do it in person. So you're gonna have. We'll have to wait. I don't know. Yeah, we might have to wait until 2021 or 2022. I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> We're allowed out again. I'm, I'm joking. But we'll have to have you guys in the office in
1: January
2: 2021. Yeah. Is that what? Is that? No. Oh, geez. I'm hoping it's six weeks away. But anyway, um, we'll have to return the favor, and you you'll have to come on our podcast. So thanks for this. Appreciate it.
1: Sounds great. Thanks, thanks a lot. That sounds great. Appreciate it so much. And uh, okay, everybody. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.